Today's topic, Garden of Amuna, page 217. Over there he talks about a piece called Amuna, Amuna, Faith versus Heresy. That's what we're going to talk about today. And if you saw the uh, invite that went out today, the Facebook invite, you'll see that the little paragraph, the two little sentences I wrote about it was that, believe it or not, Amuna is not a spiritual thing. It's not an emotional thing. It's actually a paradigm thing. It's plain and simply speaking, rewiring the neuron connections in your brain. And when we learn how to think differently, that is Amuna. So last week we began the topic of building Amuna. And the last week we discussed that building Amuna comes through what? So I shared with you that Amuna is a product of the brain, even though normally we speak about it as a product of the heart. The Amuna that's in the heart is omnipotent. It allows us to overcome reality. As in reality is we need to live and not die. Amuna has led our people to even be willing to die for God. And more than that. But the topic was that that is useless to us because what does it do for us on a day-to-day basis? So if it's the end of the month and I can't pay my mortgage, what does this omnipotent, overwhelming, abstract essence of the soul of Muna do for me? So what we need to talk about, that's what we spoke about last week, was the practical Amuna. The practical Amuna that allows me to go about life on a day-to-day procedural basis where I don't always await for doom to happen. And that's why that happens through a paradigm shift. Yes, uh, last week I shared with you a little bit of my frustration of parents and teachers who pretty much have destroyed Amuna because they've turned God, the Torah, and Judaism into a swinging bat. And that's given us a very bad paradigm of a very bad, nasty God who's very vengeful. So why would I believe that that God would be good to me when I've done so many bad things? So really what we're working on is a paradigm shift. So last week we spoke about that. We spoke about the power of Amuna going through, coming to one through studying Torah, getting a new picture, a new image of God, a new image, I mean the word image in God in the same sentence is uh, punishable by death, but you follow what I'm saying? And then you have a new understanding of the relationship there is between us and God. And because Torah study is a product of the mind, mind can go two places. Mind can lead you to humility, mind can lead you to arrogance, and that's why we spoke about the importance of praying before Torah study. That was a lot of last week's class. I just wanted to recap it because this week I'm going to pick back up on that topic and we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Okay? So we spoke about Amuna being the product of Torah, study, rewiring. I want to talk about that for a moment before we get into a little bit of Kabbalah about Judah and Joseph, a very interesting showdown in the Torah. Before we go there, I wanted to share with you what does it mean to change a paradigm? You see, there are some intellectual issues which you need to do nothing more than know them. Two plus two is four. 
So when we first started learning our times table, that was a huge issue. And we sat there coming up with tricks. And we had to simply play a memory game. But what you didn't have to do was create a paradigm shift. Because that's simple. You know it, you got it, good, move on. A paradigm shift is very much not like that. A paradigm shift is, so I told it to you, you agreed to me, and then what do you do right after that? If you saw in my last week's email, on the topic of enabling Mashiach, I discussed that issue. So there's a person with an I can't slavery mentality. You sat down, you had a whole conversation, the person showed you that you can, and it's all beautiful, and you left there very empowered, and the first reality of life just slammed you right back to the old way. Because to know is to be doesn't always work. It's a long journey. It is true. Change your paradigm and you change who you are. But it isn't by to know is to be. To know, to know again, to know, to know, to know, to know a million times until finally you etch into your brain a new groove and then it is to know is to be. One of the perfect examples is for understanding this paradigm shift and the struggle in the paradigm shift is for those of you who ever play with woodwork. So you take a saw and you start sawing. And the first couple of times is difficult because the blade is dancing all over the place. But then what happens is finally you've created a groove and now it's not difficult to saw because even if you don't put the blade in the exact perfect place because of the groove, that little V, the blade will slip into place. So pretty much that's what we call a paradigm pattern. You try once to think one way and it's flopping all over the place because you're not used to thinking that way. But if you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, you create a groove. Now here is where a nightmare starts. Because now you got this perfect groove, and things are finally getting easier on you. And then, to your horror, you just realize that you're about two centimeters off. And the piece of wood that you're cutting will not fit in to where you need to put it into. Have you ever tried to change and now start sawing two centimeters away from where you were sawing five months ago. All of a sudden, the pattern works against you. Here you were so happy that finally the blade is not flip-flopping all over the place. It's just moving into position, but now you got a problem because that position is the incorrect position. So when we talk about changing a paradigm, when you're talking about changing the way you think about things, that becomes very difficult because I'm not in preschool right now. If I was talking to preschoolers, that would be easier. I'm talking to people with baggage. I'm talking to people that already have patterns on how they think about things. So now, when you start studying Amuna, Garden of Amuna, the process of what Chassidus has to say about Amuna, and all of a sudden you're being thrown different facts, and you didn't used to think that way. You had a different image of life. You had a different image of Torah. You remember your cheder teacher, who was pretty nasty to you. 
You remember your parents threatening you that if you eat non-kosher, you're going to choke. And now all of a sudden, we have a whole new perspective. But it doesn't work that easy. Because changing a pattern is very, very difficult. I actually was at a workshop, and I'll, share, I'll ask you guys to do this. It's a visual, so those listening on the internet, just figure it out and follow with me. But what happens here is, you take your fingers, your two hands, this is, they do this at workshops. Put your hands together, right? Go ahead, just lay your thumbs down. Please look at your hands and tell me which thumb is on top of which thumb. You're all different. Right here, it's two different people. Right over left, left over right. Now I want you to do one thing. Take your hands apart, put them back together, and consciously change the thumb position. If your right was on your left, naturally, I want you to put your left on your right. Have you noticed that it doesn't work smoothly? You have to think about this. That is the silliest pattern of a brain. It means nothing to you. But when you try to change anything from the way you always do it, it becomes a problem. There are many, many different exercises we do as kids. You take uh, fingers, you know, you normally go like this. Now stop moving them in opposite directions. Most people cannot really do this. It's really problematic. And the reason I was able to do it is because I consciously did not think about it. But if I were to think about what I just did, I would run into problems. Yeah, that doesn't work. There's a bunch of them. You saw what you just did. You were working the same way. I asked you to go in opposite directions. It doesn't work that easy. You have all these kids. As kids, we always did this, right? Have one hand go circles, the other one up and down. You always do these things. All we're asking you to do is change the normal pattern of how your brain works. And the minute you're asked to do that, you're going to run into friction. Understand that for most of us in this room, Amuna runs against our pattern. Now, I'm sure a lot of us will say, no, what are you talking about? Anim Amin. I'm a believer. So I want to share with you in brief, just remind you of what I told you last week. I told you the story about the guy who had a part in the play, right? What was his part in the play? His part in the play was one line. That when the cannon goes off, his job was to scream out, the war has begun. That was all he had to do. But of course, in practice, you don't shoot cannons. So they have that little, you know, from the good old days when you used to watch Batman, the whole scream had this like big bam and that little thing. They had someone hold up the thing. And when he saw that card, in his mind it triggered off, oh, the cannon went off, and he would scream, the war has begun. And he prepared and practiced and practiced and practiced. And then what happens? Comes to opening day. He brings his whole mishpucha there. Everyone who ever knows has to come. It's opening day. It's one part in the play. And he's sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting for his moment. And the cannon goes off. And his reaction, well, what just happened? It's very different in a protected environment. It's very different for me to tell you. I want you to imagine stress. Deep breath, emuna. It's a lot different than when you come home tonight and you open the door. And on the way, you open the mailbox. And that's a different, that's a cannon going off. So I can play stress with you. I can probably create stress for you, but it's in a controlled environment. Emuna is not about having faith in God when you're in shul. Every Jew is a believer in shul. Emuna is about being a believer when you leave shul. 
Amun is about being a believer when you're dealing in the world of finances, the world of health, the world of finding a, a match, a perfect match. Now we're talking Amuna. Because the winds are blowing against you. So it's easy to keep on saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. But then like a toothache, it wears you down. Toothache is not the worst pain in the world. It's pretty bad. But what's really difficult with a toothache is it doesn't let up. The challenge of a Muna is not a one-time challenge. It's been said that it's easier to die for God than it is to live for God. Because die for God, all you've got to do is do it once. To live for God is very difficult. Because to live for God is day in and day out. It seems to be that God is purposely sending winds against you. And now you have this huge challenge. Because this morning I said I believe. And it didn't work. But that's okay. I still believe. And I still believe. And I still believe. I almost believe. I pretty much believe. I used to believe. It's a toothache syndrome. It doesn't stop. So if we're talking about changing a brain pattern, we're talking about changing the way you think, it's by redefining the wind that's blowing against you. Because if you define the wind as heresy, if you define the wind as going against my amuna, and my job is to overcome the wind, the wind will eventually wear you down. It will win. So we've entered a little bit into a different scenario right now. I'm sharing with you that Amuna is not that God will help you overcome, but I'm asking you to redefine the challenges. I'm asking you to redefine the wind. Because if you create two identities, my faith in God, and then there's the other stuff. The other stuff that challenges you, it will eventually wear you down. And that's why the challenge has to be, ultimately, can I redefine those moments which seems to be going against me? Let's talk for a moment about the gym. Not my favorite place. Used to go to the gym many years ago. But a gym, if you keep on defining a gym as a problem, you'll wake up one six o'clock and then you're going to do another thing. You're going to call up a friend because you know he's going to come. So that's going to help you have to come. And you try to do all the tricks in the world to overcome the horrible experience of going to the gym. You're going to lose. Because the minute you define that as a horrible experience, you can set up all the shtick in the world. You're going to eventually stop fighting with that horrible experience. People who keep on going to the gym is because they redefined the experience of going to the gym. It becomes an exhilarating experience. Let's talk the same thing about prayer. Let's talk the same thing about keeping kosher. Let's talk about anything. If you keep on defining that challenge as yuck, the other side, the klipa, the bad, I'm going to stick in the word. My little pet peeve for those of you who were here more than once. 
If you keep on defining everything as tikkun, you're going to give in. It's just too much to deal with. So what you really are challenged here with is to really go into the ultimate challenge of emuna in Hashem Echad. God is one. What do you do when you define God is one? What you've then done is that you've defined that there is no good guy, bad guy. And I believe in the good guy, even though the bad guy is stronger than the good guy. And as the saying goes, why is it that opportunity whispers and temptation knocks down your door? So it is the good guy and the bad guy. The bad guy is stronger than the good guy. And I'm always going to still believe in that abstract God who used to perform miracles in the year 3,348, I'm sorry, 2,448 for the Jewish people. I still believe in that God. He's one day going to come back and he's going to perform miracles again. But meanwhile, there's a clear statement in the holy books that this world is where wicked people prosper. It's a statement in the holy books. But we're going to follow the ancient, right, the ancient philosophical, philosophical question, do you want to be the hunter or the hunted? Do you want to win or do you want to be right? It's a whole big thing. So I'm going to be believing God. It doesn't work that way. Because the minute you've created two identities, the good and the bad, the bad will eventually win. It's patient. It's okay. In the AA, they have an amazing statement. They say that while you're inside doing the steps, the drunk part of you is outside doing push-ups. He's patient. You go. You just go. You go do your stuff. Don't worry. I'll be out here working out. Just pick me up on the way out. It's not an easy scenario. So what we're really challenged with here is the Amuna. Once again, I've done this before to you in a class. I'm going to do it again. When I spoke to you about, does God love me? And you guys all came here expecting an answer. And I told you, the answer is, where did that question come from? I want to do the same thing with today's class. We talk about Amuna versus heresy. My question isn't which wins. My question is, where exactly did you pick up that there are two identities, Amuna and heresy? There's God, there's the other side. Because the minute you've created that, you're doomed to lose the challenge of faith. Because if there is another side and he's not giving up, I eventually will give up. And that's like just with the gym and just like with a diet. It's always the same process. If I enjoy chocolate, but I'm going to hold tight and not eat chocolate, that will last for the entire 72 hours. But if you redefine the experience of eating, if in your mind eating isn't a comfort zone, which is what, of course, we were taught in the youngest age, the baby's crying, doesn't make a difference if you just ate, nurse him. We just, that's a brain pattern. We've taught kids, when you don't feel right, eat. But if we can redefine that, that food isn't a comfort zone, food is an energy zone, then you redefine how you look at it. It's no more a challenge. And the same thing is with everything that goes on. You know, this morning here, I had an interesting experience in the shul. The minion was running a little slow, and uh, someone had to make it to work on time. 
The one thing I said after davening was that remember that Judaism happens not amongst the people who pray all day. It's amongst the people who can pray and get to work on time. So let's talk about Parnasa. Is there the good thing and the bad thing? The good thing is where we wouldn't have to pay for anything. We always talk about when Mashiach comes, everything's going to grow on trees, everything's going to be free. And then there's just a bad thing called the world of financing. It's just a bad thing. And it's hurt so many people. And that's why we want Mashiach, so it just won't exist no more. Understand what's happening here? It becomes a very interesting arena. I do good things. I teach Torah. I meet with people. I speak with people. And there's that wicked FPL that just won't allow me to send one great lecture together with my bill, and let's call it even. There's that horrible beast called bills. And it's all part of exile and the demons and the klipa. And this goes on and on because then you start being challenged in how you look at people who are wealthy. There's this great saying, right? Actually, when the Rebbe visited Camp Gan Yisrael, the Rebbe saw it on top of the canteen. Some smart aleck put it there. Money is the root of all evil. Leave your evil here. But what happens when you do that? How do you ever expect to be financially successful when deep in your gut you think that money is the root of all evil? How do you expect to be able to live a life of amuna in God is one and God will always protect me when that nasty evil concept called bills and making money will always be there? It's so bad that today, getting through death is expensive. It's just amazing. How do you expect to live that type of life? The minute you see two things, Emunah versus heresy, if heresy exists, we're going to end up gravitating there at some point. If there is a good life, ideology, helping people, Money's never discussed. And, but then there's that evil thing. Then you have an issue there. I'm not here. There are Russian friends in the crowd, so I'm not here to start up with anyone. But the first time I've experienced that in the greatest level was when I was in Kiev. Because one of the things communism did to people is that charging isn't a nice thing. I was blown away when a car service took me somewhere and I asked him how much it costed. He almost didn't answer me. And when I took out the money, it was so conscious that it was not going to be a conscious moment of you gave me a service, I'm going to give you money, I'm going to pay you for it. It was amazing how he took the money from me as if it was a torturous procedure. Not getting into my own little stuff, but because of my own experiences, of how I used to get paid, there's a rule I have. There isn't a person in the world who I have to pay that I don't make eye contact, say thank you, and give the check. I don't leave checks for people in places. Because that comes from a certain paradigm. 
which is so contrary to Hashem Achad. There needs to be a conscious moment. Acknowledge that the service was rendered. Acknowledge that you're going to show gratitude and pay the person. And that's a good thing. It's a holy thing. It's like making a bracha before you eat an apple because you have to pay God for the apple he gave you. It's that simple. And if you don't embrace that paradigm, then a muna can't work. Because what are you believing in? You're believing in that God will also get nasty for you. He'll give you that evil money. Or what are you going to think? You're going to think that the FPL company is a bunch of wicked haymans and I got to ask God to help me. Just I got to gotta send another bill, God. I know them. I know them. They're really bad people. They send it every single month. That paradigm is the opposite of monotheism for a Jewish perspective. So instead of keep on thinking that there's the good and the bad and Hashem's going to help me because I'm good and I don't charge people and I don't do this and I don't do that and I'm an idealistic person. I live a spiritual life. So Hashem's going to help me and every single month He's going to make miracles happen and it's just going to be there. I'm going to be able to pay my bills. Those wicked people who do charge and do do bad things and they are going to shut off your lights and they are going to send someone to shut off the water if you don't pay them. Those anti-Semites. Where's the Muna? The Muna is that what? That you're going to schlep God into the back alleys because you need Him to help you there? So if you want to really appreciate what a Muna is, it is understanding that every issue in your life is a positive issue. And having to pay bills is a positive issue. And being able to own your house because for 30 years you paid your mortgage, you earned it, you earned it in a good way. The worst thing in the Zohar, it's called Nama Sufa, bread of shame. Hotora mitzvah is built upon you having the right to earn your sustenance from God. In Judaism, it isn't that glorified to say, by the grace of God do I live. It's by the grace of God He's given me the opportunity to do mitzvot and earn to be able to live. So I want to introduce to you something very interesting. In the world of Kabbalah, there's something called Dat Elyon and Dat Tachton. In other language, Yehudi Ilah, Yehudi Tata. Supernal unification and inferior, the lower unification. Let me just go through the Kabbalah part really quickly because I want to introduce you to an awesome book that someone gave me as a gift that I'm reading right now. The supernal unification is there is no I and God and God created me and God gives me life. There is no me. Because God is everything and everything is God. So I don't exist. There's only God. That is the ultimate Hashem Echad. Whatever exists is only God. Period. But then there's a lower level that says that God is my creator. God is everything and everything has created me. And because he created me and because he continuously vivifies me and sustains me, I therefore exist. In the language of the verses, we talk about en od, there's nothing else, period. 
But then there's another sentence which says, En od milvado. There's nothing without him, but with him I exist. So what we're saying here is, one says there's nothing, there's only God. One says that there is God, and with God, because of God, I exist. And for any moment that God would not create me, I would cease to exist. But if he does create me, then I am me. Thank you, God, for continuously creating me. I've shared with you once before, that when I was growing up in California, they had a company called Pip Printing. And you used to have these great posters. And one of the famous posters that used to have was this little kid looking all rejected and dejected like this. And it says on top, I know I can't be nothing because God doesn't create nothing. So if God created me, then I must be something. En od milvado. Don't give me that there's only God and nothing else exists. God created me. Now, in the regular teachings... En od is higher than en od milvado. To have the supernal understanding that there's nothing but God. There is no God created me. God created a piece of himself. That's all. God plus God equals God. End the story. That's the highest level. The lower level is to say that God created me, thus I exist only because every second of my existence he's creating me. I'm going to play tonight with this teaching because I want to actually give more credence to the lower than the higher. And here I'm going to introduce to you, to you an interesting book I read, I'm reading right now. I'm not here to push his books, even though I think his books are great. The man by the name of Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote three books so far that I know about. These two books I read were awesome, and now I'm reading his third book. He wrote a book called Blink, he wrote a book called Thinking, that's the tipping point. And now I'm working on another book he wrote called Outliers. I want to share with you one point of these outliers, and I want to talk about it from the perspective that we're discussing here. He talks about this guy by the name of Terman. Terman did, up to his date, the most amazing, fascinating, long-term study. I believe he had 750 people that were all IQ off the charts. He monitored their lives. He categorized them in grade A, grade B, grade C. He was of the opinion that because these people were literally geniuses and beyond, that they each were going to become amazing, really monumental people that are going to, quote Steve Jobs right now, make a dent in the globe. He was very let down and disappointed when he realized that IQ is not all that we make it out to be. Some of those people were jobless, couch potatoes, then some of them went on to be PhDs, you know, right, left, and center. So I want to introduce to you something that he, that he discusses there. Very interesting. He discusses the difference between middle class and lower class. Taboo. Get over it. He discusses middle class and lower class. He discusses that in general, what he's seen is that middle-class parents and up teach their children a positive sense of entitlement. Now, I know entitlement is a bad word, but right now, it's not a bad word. Used in the right way, ain't old milvado is a good thing. 
And then you have the lower class pretty much taught their kids. You don't question authority. You just listen. If the teacher said he or she must be right, bow. He talks about these two approaches that really makes the biggest difference if being a genius is worth anything. It's scary because I'm a parent. I have a 16-year-old out there, a 14-year-old, and uh, some more kids. God bless them each. And this chapter just made me freeze. You see, Ein Od Milvado says that God created me, so I must be a something. So I must have a healthy sense of entitlement and tell God that the something you created, you created with needs. And in order for me to be what you created me to be, I need certain things. And every morning I'm going to pray to you and ask you to give it to me. I believe today, next week I may give you a different class, <laughs> but today, I believe that Amuna cannot work without a healthy sense of entitlement. I don't believe someone who doesn't believe that he deserves anything can have a Muna in Hashem. I believe that when you teach yourself and change the paradigm for a lot of Jewish children that were taught by overpowering and overbearing parents who you couldn't take a step before they came running to save you from yourself, I think that this concept of believing that because you are who you are, because God created you to be that, and thus you do question, and thus you do stand up for your rights, and thus every morning you do stand up by davening, not feeling like a worm, but like God's creation who stands before God and says, this is what I need today to do what you want me to do. I think that's the guts and soul and the foundation of Amuna. But when you enter into an arena where I am so non-deserving, because I'm a non-existence, I, I just happen to be a mistake. I'm being recorded, so I should be more careful with my words. But it's amazing when you talk to people, some people will tell you that they are the product of faulty birth control. That to me is the ultimate, the ultimate point of despair. I don't belong here. I'm a mistake. But they were religious and they didn't believe in abortion. So now I've got to go through this life. Gee, thanks. How can you have a Muna when you have that type of paradigm? And yes, we could make it holy. What are you talking about? Rabbi, I'm an ain't old person. Only God. Who am I? Let's call all the prophets. And 13 years old, we say a mimer that calls these prophets. And if we sin, we hurt God. If we do a mitzvah, we're doing anything good for God. That's what the prophet says. So what do you want from me, Rabbi? I'm top of the line faith. And what you're really doing is you're hiding the absolute absence of any self-respect 
in a guise of holiness and then you want to have a Muna? Where does a Muna fit into the picture? So if we talk about a Muna, we need to embrace a couple of prerequisites before we even get to the question of a Muna versus heresy. And it's so funny because if you read the Garden of the Garden of Amuna book on 217, he seems to focus on that heresy always starts with I. I am bad, I am this, I am that. And faith always is about God. And what I'm telling you may sound the exact opposite. That if you don't believe that I exist, of course because God created me to exist. And I have a destiny, of course, because God created me with a destiny. And I make a difference because, of course, God told me that I make a difference. And he told it to me by letting me be born. But that is what Amuna comes from. That healthy sense of entitlement. Knowing that if God created me, I make a difference. And I can't make a difference if I go into foreclosure, my lights are shut off, my water is shut off, what kind of difference am I supposed to make, Hashem? And if earning money and being healthy wasn't important, God wouldn't have put it into the entire mix. How different the paradigm is. So earning money isn't a bad thing that we have to do. Do you know which is the most important prayer of the day? A prayer called Mincha. Do you know why Mincha is so important? Because it's smack in the middle of your working day. That's why Elijah the prophet wasn't answered by the morning prayers. Because anyone could have a morning prayers. Just wake up a little early and go. But now let's be smack in the middle of the whole day. And everything's happening. And I'm so thrown around. And da 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 da. Either I'm depressed or I'm happy or I'm busy or I'm... Whatever it is. Stop. Daven. What makes Mincha so powerful is because earning a living and taking care of business is so real and so important. And now put Mincha right there. I want to recap. Number one, we spoke about the change of a paradigm. You need to change the neuron connections in your brain. Plain and simple. When something bad happens, you don't immediately say, oh, there it goes again. I knew it. I knew, I knew it. I knew it. What was I expecting? Whatever. That change has to take place. And it happens by continuously doing it. Step number two I shared with you is that if you're going to keep on having the paradigm that there's the good and the bad, and I believe that the good will overcome the bad, and I'm not going to listen to the bad, then eventually the bad's going to win. So the true challenge of the paradigm shift is not that God is stronger than the Satan and not that good will ultimately win. But the real paradigm shift of Amuna is that Satan is nothing more than a loyal angel who serves God. And the job of Satan is to create friction so that we can grow. And thus, by taking that paradigm shift, I'm no more questioning whether I will have a Muna to last me for the, last, the rest of my life because this toothache 
is going to last for the rest of my life. But rather the challenge here becomes, can I really believe in Hashem Echad? Can I really believe that God is everything and thus the challenges I have in my life, that which I call bad, isn't really bad. It may temporarily be sad, but in ultimate it's actually a challenge for me to be able to rise up. And earning a living and making a lot of money is part of the blessing of life. Being healthy is part of the blessing of life. Having to work hard and be able to stay focused and take dreams and turn them into realities and not to do it the idealistic way of not charging but make it all happen real. I believe in you, God. I believe in everything you've created. And I believe that you've given me the tools in which I can not only earn a living, but way more than that. And then, the last thing I introduced to you was that sometimes humility is a holy cover-up for the lack of any self-respect. That's not a good thing. Amuna can't survive there. I need to embrace that the Amuna that God gave me is not to live a Yom Kippur life all day long where God is everything. But it's also to understand that God is everything means that God created me and thus I exist. And God created me with needs and thus my needs exist. And thus every morning I pray to God with a sense of a healthy sense of entitlement. God, you have created me, so I'm important to you. God, you've given me needs. My needs are important to you. God, help me make this happen. We're going to close up now. I'm going to reopen for questions.